Welcome to everyone who is joining us, whether you're here in person or you're online. We're so glad that you're here. I apologize for the lessons being stapled on the bottom. I got to do a little investigation. I promised that I checked um, top left when I went to print it, and it stapled it on the bottom left. Um, I even tested it on my own uh, lesson, my own notes, to see if it would do the same thing. And I checked again. I had checked top left, and it stapled on bottom left. So I'm not really sure what's going on there, um, but we'll figure it out. But I apologize that it, it, it almost seems like your notes are upside down there. So please uh, forgive the te technical difficulties, but I didn't want to go back and didn't really have time to go back and try to unstaple and then restaple and all of that. So if you want to rip them out or however you want to do it, um, just don't leave them on the seats for somebody else to sit on on Sunday morning. That would that would not be fun. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The, the title of our lesson tonight is Rooted, a study of Colossians. And that's a bit ironic um, because this is part two. It's lesson two in this series, but it's really part two of this idea of developing a culture in roots can be in which roots can be grown. Now, it has been a little while, um, almost two months, uh, since I taught the first lesson in this series. Um, so, if you remember correctly, I told you that you know we're going to be doing a study of the book of Colossians. Our theme for this year is Rooted. Um, and we're focusing on becoming more deeply rooted in Christ and in letting our roots spread out and begin to intricately intertwine with the roots of those around us in the church. That's the vision. That's the theme for this year. We need to be rooted first in Jesus. Amen. And then we need to intertwine our roots with one another as we're all rooted in Jesus so that we will not be shaken, so that we can experience what Sister Marie was talking about as she was opening uh, with, you know, not having to worry about the droughts and the dry seasons and the storms and all those things that come. We'll continue to be fruitful and we'll continue to stand. And, and that's what Rooted is all about. So the more deeply we grow roots in Jesus and knit our roots together, um, the stronger we're going to be. Um, and despite the uncertainty of the times, and don't you know we live in uncertain times, but despite the uncertainty of the times, despite the persecution that may well be on the way to the churches of America, we can stand if we simply make intentional, conscious effort to be rooted. All right. And so our, our theme this year, we're taking it from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And verse 7 is really where we're getting the theme from. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So, before we get into real, the newer stuff, we need to go back and review, especially since it's been so long, um, maybe a little bit more review than what I would normally do, um, but we, we said we're going to start in the book of Colossians, but I felt led that we needed to go to an Old Testament story um, that at that time I just couldn't get it out of my mind, and, and, and we needed to teach from that story. Well, we only taught um, really about half of what needed to be taught from that story, and so um, at first it didn't seem like it related to the book of Colossians or to our theme of Rooted, 
Uh, but it actually, this story that we're, gonna, we're looking at actually points out the dangers of young people and, and any people, any Christian, not being rooted. Um, it was the story of Dinah, who is Jacob's daughter. Um, and the Bible says that she went out to see, she went out to see the daughters of the land. There are, and I, I told you that there are far too many of our sons and daughters, far too many Christians, uh, whether they be our actual young people or whether they be maybe newer converts and sadly even people that might have been in church for a while that never fully got rooted that are going out to see the sons and the daughters of the world. And so let's read what happened in this story just so we understand what we're talking about. In Genesis chapter 34, verses 1 through 4, it says, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, who was Jacob's first wife, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, saw Dinah, Jacob's daughter, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. He abused her. He molested her. Um, not a pretty sight. Then it says in verse 3, His soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel, and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. Now, we're not going to read the rest of it, but let me just kind of summarize. As we read on in the story, we find that Jacob's sons, Dinah's brothers, agree to make a treaty with these people on the one condition that all of the men of the city be circumcised. Because you know that circumcision is a sign of God's covenant with Abraham and with the Jews. And Abraham was Jacob's grandfather, and just so we all understand that. And so they said, you know, we'll enter into covenant with you, and then you can share in our covenants if you'll do the same thing that we have to do. All right? And so, but really... They had an ulterior motive, and they used the ruse of their religion to set those men of Shechem up for their vengeful plot. And I told you that far too many vengeful ruses have been covered in the cloak of religion. And unfortunately, that is one reason why far too many children are wandering around in the world who grew up in the church. Instead of being rooted in Christ, there was too much cloak of religion going on and stuff that shouldn't have been going on that pushed them away. Um, now, if they had been rooted, that kind of stuff wouldn't have pushed them away. So some of the responsibility is on them, but we have to be very careful that we don't allow those types of things to happen. And because of what happened to Dinah, two of Jacob's sons went up after the men of Shechem had been circumcised and before they were fully recovered, and they killed them all. Now in our lesson, we said, the first lesson, we did that there was something in Dinah that longed to see what the rest of the world lived like, what they looked like, what they felt like, felt like, and Far too often, that's what happens to people who have experienced and tasted some of the things of God, but they end up doing or longing 
to do exactly what Dinah did, to find out what the world lives like, to find out what it feels like to do and experience the things of the world, to experience those parties that everybody talks about going to, to experience that freedom of going and doing whatever you want to do, so to speak. But isn't that what Eve did in the garden? Isn't that how the, the tempter beguiles us? He, he gets us to, to desire to touch and handle and taste forbidden things, things we know we really shouldn't be dealing with, things that we shouldn't be around, but he gets us thinking that the things of God are not as good as the things that the world has to offer. Somehow, we have got to develop a culture in the church in which our children, both our natural children and our spiritual children, those that are coming into the church and those who have an experience with God, we've got to create a culture in which they will touch and taste and handle the things of the Lord so much that they have no need or no desire to touch and taste and handle the things of the world. So we discussed the fact that Shechem, the word Shechem, which is the name of that young man that did that disgusting and deplorable thing, is also the name of the city. It means the back of the shoulder. Now, it, it, it means right here, really right below the, the nape of your neck, across the, the shoulder blades there, um, all across there. That's what the name Shechem means. And so we said that that was significant in two ways. The first one is, is that is the area onto which loads or burdens are placed. We've got to be very careful that we do not place burdens on people that are too heavy for them to carry. And that relates to everybody, but especially to children and especially to new converts. We, we actually talked about the fact that a disciple maker will actually not just put a yoke on a disciple, not just win a soul and then say, hey, here, you got to do all this stuff and just take the whole Bible and say, here, read it for yourself, figure it out and and live right. But if you don't, God's going to strike you dead or you, you're going to backslide and you. All right, we, we can't do that. That's that we we can't stop when someone gets the Holy Ghost and when they get baptized in Jesus name we need to come alongside them and say you know what a yoke has many there are there are some yokes that where there are two oxen that are yoked together and when matter of fact when Amos says how can two walk except they be agreed it's actually talking about two oxen that are yoked together and they got to walk together. They've got to walk in tandem and they've got to work together if they're going to do the work that they're supposed to do. And, and so true disciple making is actually putting the yoke on the disciple, checking everything that's in the cart or whatever is hooked up to that yoke, and then coming alongside and putting your own neck in the yoke right beside them and walking together with them until they know how to pull it and until they're strong enough to bear it for themselves. All right, that's what real discipleship looks like. And then we ended our lesson by talking about the fact that in the church, we are all called to help bear one another's burdens. We are not alone, and there is no need for us to act as if we are alone. I need you, and you need me. We all need each other. And I've been saying this a lot in our services over the past couple of months. 
But the Bible says that the church grows up and matures by that which every joint supplieth. There, there's an analogy of a body given. The church is related to the body of Christ. And Paul tells us that the body all needs to work together and every part of the body is important. You don't think too much about your fingernails until you rip one of them off. I know because I've had that happen. <laughs> you don't think too much about certain parts of your body until they're not working properly. But that doesn't make them any less necessary than the other parts of your body. And it's the same way in the church. You, you might not get all the glory and you might not get all the spotlight. And people might not compliment your kidneys the way they compliment your hairdo. But, but the kidneys are maybe probably more important than your hairdo. That's why Jesus said he, he uh, gives more honor to the unseemly parts. Paul said that. Jesus said it through Paul. Um, and so we're all important. And, and what we need to understand is, is that each and every one of us have something to offer to the rest of the body. And if every person would get in the spot that they're supposed to be in, and they would begin doing what they're supposed to do in that position, that's when the body is going to grow and develop and be healthy. We said in the last lesson that even when a brother has fallen or failed, we refer to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 that says, Brethren, if a, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thy al thou also be tempted. Right? Um, it's kind of nice. I can go a little faster tonight and not have to worry about trying to have Sister Ellen catch up. <laughs> We got captions out there, but I still need to slow down because I get ahead of myself a little bit. But we we talked about when our, when our brother, even when a brother has fallen or failed, it's up to us, the body, to help restore him. Now, God will do the ultimate work of restoration, but he chooses to use us. In fact, Paul said it is those who are spiritual who are responsible for doing this work of restoration. We made the statement that restoration is a spiritual work. And if we think ourselves to be spiritual, then we should always have the mindset of restoration of our brothers and our sisters. Why is that so hard? Well, maybe it's because sometimes the ones who have experienced failure or has committed a fault directly affected me or disappointed me or wounded me in the process of their failure or their fault. It got really quiet in here. But I think the reason that becomes so hard is simply because of that. The ones that we're supposed to be restoring might just be the ones that hurt us. And yet, we're supposed to forgive. And we're supposed to come alongside them and help them get back up. And we're supposed to go ahead and move forward. Even if they hurt us. 
that's how healing comes. And that's how restoration comes. When it's really quiet in here. But let's just be real. There may come a time when I hurt your feelings. I'm not going to do it on purpose. I don't think so. I wouldn't intend to do it. I wouldn't on purpose go around figuring out a way to try to hurt your feelings. But I might do it sometime. I hope that you will be willing to forgive me and help restore our relationship so that when the time comes that as your pastor and your spiritual leader, I can speak into your life that you will allow me to do so. And I pray that if for any reason you wound me at any time, I don't think you would do it on purpose, and I'm going to try to give you the benefit of the doubt, but I would hope that I would have the same mindset to say, you know what, when it comes time for me to speak into your life, that I'm not going to withhold it because I've got a grudge against you. When it comes time for me to pray for you, I'm not going to fail to pray for you because you hurt my feelings. Or when it comes time for me to, to have to visit you in the hospital, I'm not going to be up there and say, see, you've never, you wouldn't be in the hospital if you haven't done that to me. I know I'm getting really, really real right now, but it's what happens. We're family. We're the family of God. And as wonderful as that is, there are times when family hurts one another. And we just got to say, you know what, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to move on and I'm going to and I'm going to help you get back up. And hopefully you're going to help me get back up and then we're going to move forward together. And and the devil can be a liar and he can all that stuff that he tried to do to cause division and all that stuff he tried to do to keep us from moving forward in the Lord. All that stuff he tried to do to steal, kill and destroy. It's just it's just not going to work because no weapon formed against me is going to prosper because I'm going to go ahead and restore my brother and restore my sister and restore that relationship. And and, and God is going to use us together to make an impact on the world amen amen sister marie so you've been standing there for a little bit um, the important thing in in doing so in restoring relationships is making sure that we first love god right and we he loved us first our relationship is rooted in him. Yes. And when it's rooted in him, then we can be rooted in each other. Mm -hmm. What happens a lot of the times is that we connect ourselves first to each other and not to God. Mm. And so when something goes wrong with our church family, our physical family, you know, the birth family or very the family that we married into, then we draw away, we pull back. And because we connected with them, with our church family first instead of God first, then we pull away from the church. Because we're rooted to the church Not with God. before we're rooted to the God of the church. And so there has to be, our relationship cannot be rooted first with our brother and sister. It has to first be rooted in God. 
so when we do get hurt, because Jesus said offenses must come. And he offended a lot of people. He offended a lot of people, and he did that on purpose because he wanted to cleanse them. He wanted his light to shine in them that he may try to restore them. So if, again, we're not hurting people on purpose. That's not what we're trying to do. The body doesn't try to hurt itself. That would be horrible. That would be chaos. That'd be too many white blood cells and not enough red cells, right? And then there the body becomes be anemic. There needs to be both. And the body doesn't need to be anemic. It needs to be flowing properly. It doesn't need to be attacking each other. But if we are rooted in God first, then we can properly love one another. So when, when and if we do get hurt, then we can, we can understand they didn't mean to do that. Or we can say, Lord, show me. Show me so that I can make it right and love my brother or my sister again the way that you love me. Amen. 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 So tonight, I mean that 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 was all just kind of review from the last time. And maybe we got a little deeper there at the end than we <laughs> than we did last time, but that's all right. But tonight we're gonna move forward in our teaching because there were two ways um, that the definition of the word Shechem was sig was significant. And the second way is that the word Shechem which again means the back of the shoulders, that's also the area onto which robes or mantles which represent authority or government are worn. Right? When you put on a mantle, when, you, when a king puts on a kingly robe that represents authority, when a judge puts his robe on and goes to that bench, uh, that robe sits on his shoulders. That makes sense. Everybody understand that? Isaiah 9, verse 6, that verse we use at Christmas time so much, but it applies to much more than Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 22 and verse 22, the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder or the authority of the house of David. The, the, the ring, so to speak, that, that signifies his authority. The, the, the keys that represent access and, and, and authority and government. I'm going to lay on his shoulder and he's going to open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. That's talking about authority and talking about the authority to give or to grant or to not grant access. In reference to Shechem and our, our story, it could be that Dinah looked to Shechem, to the daughters of the land, to bear her governmental authority, to be her leader or her governor. The Bible says that the government shall be upon his shoulders, and we're supposed to look to Jesus to govern our lives, to be our king, to be the voice of authority for us. We cannot be rooted in Christ 
if we're not willing to allow him to govern our lives. And it's possible that Dinah went out to see the daughters of the land because she wanted to get out from under that authority that she was under. And that's dangerous ground. And I'm not justifying what happened to her, but that's dangerous ground. We've got to allow Jesus to govern our lives. And it's easy if we get rooted in him and rooted in his love and rooted in who he is and rooted in his word. But when we're not rooted, it's harder to let him govern our lives. And by the way, pastors, ministers, the fivefold ministry are part of that authority and that government that we're supposed to submit to. And parents are part of that authority as well. But when our children, when the sheep get out from under the authority of the shepherd, when our children, if we're parents, get out from under our authority um, and they look to put their government upon the shoulders of the world, it will always result in disaster. And it's not just children, and it's not just new converts. Anytime you decide that you're going to get out from under authority and go and let somebody else govern you, that's dangerous ground. The problem is that too many of our sons and daughters begin to resent the government of the Lord. Or they resent the government of their parents. Or they resent their pastoral authority. Boy, I got quiet again. Now, I, don't, I think the parents in here would be like, yeah, it's not good when my kid disobeys me or my kid starts looking to somebody else to, to be the authority in my life. I'm, I'm not having that. <laughs> my kids are under my roof and they're my kids. Like they're under my authority. Now, if you see my kids acting up, I give you freedom to tell them not not act up and then come get me and I can deal with it or get my wife and we'll deal with it. But at the same time, if you're out there trying to tell my kids to do something that, that I've told them not to do or to tell them to not do something that I've told them to do, you see the analogy here? You're asking them to get out from under my authority? That's a problem. Well, guess what? If you're listening to a TV preacher instead of listening to your pastor, that's the same thing. Or if you're over there watching somebody else's online service and you're listening more to them than you are your own pastoral authority in your church that you're, that you're saying is your shepherd, then you're doing the same thing. Listen, this, and this is not about dictatorship. All right, because the elders which have been put over us are going to be held accountable. Right? Now, I'm going to be held accountable if I don't follow the guidance of my elders. But my elders are going to be held accountable if they lead me astray, if they don't watch over my soul the way they're supposed to. I mean, there's some strong admonitions and accountability for leaders that don't lead well or lead astray or don't do their job. 
one of the reasons Israel got in so much trouble is because the priests and the prophets were act out there acting the fool themselves and leading everybody else astray. Why do you think that the Levites that tried to rebel against Moses and Aaron got swallowed into the earth? Because they were supposed to be leaders. And they were trying to lead a whole bunch of other people astray and rebelled against their authority and tried to bring people into their authority. It's the sin of Lucifer all over again. Oh, boy. Maybe this would be better coming from an evangelist that isn't a pastor in this church. But I just got to teach you what the Word of God says. And again, it's not about a pastor being a dictator. I have no desire to govern you and to control every aspect of your life. But when it comes to spiritual things, God has given me a mandate and I'm supposed to feed you what God gives me. And you're supposed to eat what God gives me to feed you. One of the biggest problems we have with our daughter right now is sometimes she just doesn't want to eat what's put in front of her. And she's stubborn. And she'll just sit there and be like, happened last night. <laughs> and I had to like stand there over her and make sure she was eating it. At one point, she's right in front of her mother and she tried to take the plate and go throw the food in the trash and her mother was sitting at the table with her. I'm like, uh-uh, we're not having this. And Lucy's not usually that way, but thank God she's not usually that way. But isn't that what we do sometimes when we don't like what the preacher preaches? Or we go to the pastor and complain about all of our problems and the pastor gives us guidance and, and then we just go out and just totally disregard and do what we want to do anyway? Y'all don't like me right now. I'm sorry, but I love you. So our, our, this is what our kids do, though, right? Our kids want to go out. You know, Harold's generation, Austin's generation, Danny's generation. They, they want to go out and, and listen to the world because the world tells them, you do you, bro. Or, I, you don't have to listen to them. Don't worry about that, honey. You, you, you can do what you want to do. This is 2020, 2021, you know. You, you, don't, you don't have to obey anybody. This is, come on. Isn't that what happened with the prodigal son? He wanted to get out from under his father's authority to strike out into the world on his own. And he decided that he did not need anyone's authority but his own. What was that, Brother Steve? Yeah, until his money was all spent. Let me tell you something. You will always be under somebody's authority. Whether you like it or not. And whether you think you are or not. You're going to be under somebody's authority. You're either going to be of your father the devil or of your father God. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve God in money. You can't have two gods. There's, there's only one God. 
you're either going to be controlled by the spirit or governed by the spirit or you're going to be governed by your own flesh. Come on, somebody. It's the truth. If you can't say amen, say oh me. <laughs> I'm stepping on my own toes. I know it, it hurts sometimes, but that's the way it works. But what happens is we think that we're in control because I'm doing what I want to do. But you're not in control. You're being controlled by what you want to do. You're being controlled by an appetite. I taught the youth last week about appetites. And I told them there's, there's but four main appetites. And the only one that is, well, the one that we need to be the strongest is our spiritual appetite. And the appetite for food and the appetite for fleshly pleasure and the, and the pride of life, that the, the things that we see and want. None of the, if those things are, are growing and growing and growing and, and, and allowed to, to, we just continue feeding those things by what we watch and what we see and what we do and who we listen to and all that stuff. Then our spiritual appetite gets squashed up under that and there's no room for our spiritual appetite to grow and so we begin craving the things of the world. It's like the children of Israel in the wilderness when they didn't want manna anymore, but they wanted meat. And they complained that they didn't have any meat. The manna God was serving a manna that came from heaven, so really it was God serving a manna. By the way, whenever the pastor preaches, whenever the pastor teaches, it's from God. And whatever food that he puts on your plate, it was God that served that meal up. The pastor is just the server. The waiter or the waitress. Is that all right, pastor? Is that okay for me to say it that way? Well, yes. Definitely the man of God is not a waitress, that's for sure. But that's the analogy. So... We've got to be willing to eat what God gives us. If we're going to lie down in green pastures, we've got to be willing to let the shepherd lead us to those green pastures. And by the way, sometimes leading us to those green, pa green pastures might take us through some dry places. Before he can lead you to the still waters, you may have to go through uh, around or by some rapids. And if you run to that, the rapid water and try to get it, get to it, first of all, the sheep can't handle that, and that's a whole other lesson. But if you run, there's a chance that you might slip in off the bank and fall and be swept away by something you shouldn't do. If you go to water that the shepherd is telling you to stay away from, it might be toxic and poisonous. The shepherd knows what water to lead you to. You may have to go through some rough patches. You may have to go through some, some things that you don't like. You may have to do some things that you don't really want to do. You may have to go through some discomfort. But if you will allow the authority that has been placed over you to lead you and truly govern you, and not just talking about the pastoral authority, I'm talking about the Word of God too. Because there's sometimes you read things in the Word of God and you're like, no, nah, that doesn't apply to me. Who are you? I mean, if you don't, if, if, if you're supposed to, 
If one of us is supposed to do something, we're all supposed to do it. If it's in here. All right? No, none of us are above the word of God. None of us are above the law. None of us, myself included, Pastor Trine included, Bishop included. All right? He, we're, we're not above the law. We have to submit to this word and to the God of this word just as much as anybody else. But just like the prodigal son, when we cast off our spiritual governance, things do not end up well for us. But there's great news. We can always come back. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful because that's my testimony. I was a prodigal and the Lord restored me and thank God for it. The calf is being fattened in anticipation of our coming home. The, the ring has been polished, and, 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 and every day he's polishing that ring. And, and the robes are being laundered and pressed and checked on every day to make sure they're still in good condition that, to be worthy of a son or a daughter of the king. And it's waiting for you. You left home. Somebody, I don't know who needs to hear this. Maybe there's somebody watching online. You left home, but your room is still there waiting for you. And the bed is still there, and it's made up, and the sheets are clean, and there's towels laid out for you. You even got you, we even got you a brand new toothbrush. Just come on home. We want you back. Amen. That was free. We've we, we got to develop a culture in the church in which authority is not resented because that is completely countercultural to the spirit of this age in which we live. And it's not that our church is necessarily doing anything wrong. That's not what I'm saying. And I know that some of this lesson makes you feel maybe a little bit beat up, and that's not what I'm trying to do. But, and I'm not trying to say that we have this great, huge problem with authority in our church because I don't think we do. But the world does, and if we're not careful, we let the world creep into the church. Because guess what? We are in this world, but we're not of the world. So we're rubbing up with those things and those spirits all day long. And if we're not careful, we'll bring them from our job into the church. Or we'll bring them from our school into the church. Or we'll bring them from our, from our families that maybe not be serving the Lord back. And we'll bring it right into church service with us. We've got to make sure that we guard that. And we've got to make sure that there is a culture in the church where authority is not resented because authority is a good thing. Now, in my flesh, I don't want to submit to anybody. You know, most of us, we don't really want to be under anybody's authority. But Jesus said that the greatest faith he had found on earth was from a man who understood the power and necessity of submitting to and remaining under authority. And it wasn't even from a Jew. It was a Roman centurion who sent some Jewish elders to ask Jesus to heal his servant. He sent the elders because he didn't feel worthy to come to Jesus himself. So that I don't even have time to get into all that. But they came to him and Jesus said, all right, I'm going to come. So he got on the road with them and they started heading back. But look at what happens in Luke chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But say, look at what he says, but say in a word, 
and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority. Everyone say, set under authority. I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turned him about and said unto the people, turn, and he turned himself around and, he, and looked back at all those other people that were following him. And he looked them right in the eye. And he said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. The people that were supposed to have faith. The people that should have recognized me, the people who should have recognized my authority, didn't even recognize it. And yet this powerful Roman centurion, even though he didn't feel worthy to have Jesus come to his home, to his home he still believed in Jesus' power to heal. Because his faith was rooted in what he knew about Jesus. He understood more about Jesus than those Jewish, those Jewish elders probably understood. He was a man who was set under authority. When you are set under authority, you understand authority. Now, to be set under authority has a twofold meaning. Number one, it means to be submitted to authority. And number two, it means to have authority. And that even plays out in the Greek definition. So the Greek word for set means to place in a certain order, to arrange, to assign a place, to appoint. And it also means to appoint on one's own responsibility and authority. That implies that when I sit in the place that I have been placed by the one in authority over me, that same authority is given to me. The Greek word for authority means the power of rule or government. And look at the parentheses on that. The power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. There's no choice. Now that set under authority is literally a military term that refers to the chain of command. Authority flows down. Therefore, you've got to be under authority in order to have authority because if you get out from under authority, there's, there's no connection to authority and it can't get to you. So you've got to be under authority. You can turn the shower on and let the water run all day long, but you're not going to get wet until you step under the shower. Well, you can... You can talk about how much authority a leader has or how much authority God has, but if you never step under that authority and start obeying that authority, you're never going to be given any authority yourself. That's why when the sons of Sceva started trying to cast out devils in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, those, that one man who had seven devils jumped on them, or, or had however many devils it was, and jumped on those seven sons of Sceva and beat them all up and sent them away. Running for their lives. 
Because those that were trying to cast it out, they knew about the authority. They recognized the authority, but they wouldn't submit to the authority. They were not in submission to it and obedience to it. So therefore, they had no authority. So the devils did not have to obey them. That's why you, get the, you need to get the name of Jesus spoken over your life at baptism. Because that's when you get the name of Jesus over you and you submit in obedience. And that name gets put over you and all of his power and authority comes to you. And you need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because that's when he's living inside you. And if you don't do that, then you don't have his authority. Man. Authority flows down. You've got to be under authority in order to receive authority. When you are set in place by God, he puts you under first his authority and then those that are under him but over you. Chain of command. In the military, that's what it's called. And as long as you are in the right order within the chain of command, you have all of the authority that is given to you by the ones above you in the chain. When I was a sergeant... I had soldiers under me, but I had a staff sergeant above me, and above the staff sergeant was a sergeant first class, and above the sergeant first class was a first sergeant, and above the first sergeant was a sergeant major. And as long as I stayed under the sergeant major's authority and the first sergeant's authority and the sergeant first class's authority and the, and the staff sergeant's authority... Not to mention all the captains and majors and all that. As long as I stayed in their authority, those soldiers had to do what I said, no matter what. Because I had been given authority from above. And that's what the chain of command looks like. And so being a military man, that's what the centurion was saying. He was saying, I understand the chain of command. And within my chain of command, I follow orders. And those under me follow my orders. And so he said, Jesus, you are a man under authority as well, and those things which are under you in the chain must obey your orders. I'm a, I'm a centurion. I got soldiers under me, and I tell them to jump, and they say how high. And how many times you want me to jump? And do you want me to do it again? And is there anything else you want me to do? Jesus marveled at his faith. He wasn't even a Jew. He wasn't even rightfully connected to God, and yet he understood the authority under which Jesus operated. That means that he knew who Jesus was when the people who should have known who he was didn't even recognize him. Jesus had not found such great faith in all of Israel. Now that implies something to me. That implies that he was looking for great faith in Israel. Everywhere he went, he was looking for faith. And whenever he found faith, miracles happened. Man, I could preach from right there. I could, I could go on for another hour just on that. I'm not going to. I promise you. But when you come to church and Jesus shows up at church, is he going to find faith? When Jesus comes to your house, is he going to find faith? One of the ways you can tell is that Jesus equated faith with submission to an understanding of authority. 
If we could ever get a revelation of spiritual authority, faith would grow in the church and we would see more miracles and signs and wonders in the 21st century church than we've ever seen before. That's why the devil attacks authority so much. That's why this spirit of the age right now is doing what it's doing to try to get us to resent authority because he knows the power of authority. He knows what happens when you're not an authority, but he doesn't want to let us show that. He, he doesn't want us to, to see what happens when we get out from under authority. But it's exactly what happened to him. But he doesn't tell you all that. <laughs> he paints a pretty picture. <laughs> the problem is with our culture in general. And not necessarily in this church. But unfortunately, in many churches, it has crept and embedded itself deeply into the church to resent authority. But the Bible encourages us to respect authority, to honor authority, to submit to authority, and to obey those who have the rule of, over us. In fact, there are many instances in the Bible where those who dishonored and disrespected authority got into big, big trouble, like Dathan and Abiram that we talked to er about earlier. But there are many beautiful examples of the blessings of those who submit to, who respect, honor, and, and honor authority. Think about David, who wouldn't even touch God's anointed, even though he was anointed to be the king. He wouldn't even touch Saul while he was alive, even though Saul tried to kill him. Think about Esther, who submitted to Mordecai, even though she didn't want to go before the king. But he said, for such a time as this, maybe this is why you came into the kingdom. And so she submitted to her uncle or her cousin's authority or the guy that raised her. Um, and, and, and think about Elisha, who for I don't even know how many years poured water on the hands of Elijah and served him and humbled himself and would not leave him. And look at what happened to Elisha. He got that double portion. So when we learn to understand authority and honor those in authority, it keeps us under authority. And when we stay under authority, we will remain under the protection of the Lord. So I know I've talked a whole bunch. And we're almost done already. But maybe we ask this question. Maybe we'll get a couple quick responses. How can we develop a culture in the church in which authority is embraced rather than resented? I'm sorry. I can't. Can someone, whoever's talking, can you go to the microphone? Because I can't hear anything. Sorry. And plus, the people online need to hear as well. Um, read the Bible and obey the word of God. Okay. And don't let it out of God's hand. Right. We, we do it by example, right? If every one of us would read the Bible, obey the Bible, and then submit to authority, then it creates a culture when authority, where authority is not resented, right? How about us leaders if we show servant leadership and loving leadership? The old saying goes that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Um, once leadership shows that we have your best interests at heart, when we spend time with you, when we listen to what you have to say, when we're present, when we're aware, when we're intentional about being in relationship with you and being in good relationship with you, don't you think that creates a culture where you will respect and submit to the leadership as opposed to 
resenting it. It's a whole lot easier to follow a leader who makes you feel special. Right? And that's what we all need to do. Uh, whatever leadership position you may have, if you show the people that are following you that you care, they won't resent your authority. Sister Marie, you have a comment? Okay. It really is put under the shoulder of God's grace to, as parents, to teach our children not just to obey us, but to obey, obey every leader that is in their life. Police officers, their school teachers, their principals, uh, you know, firemen, our pastors, our Sunday school teachers, everyone that is an authority. Um, and there's just a lot lacking. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that our families are so broken. And so because our families are broken, then there's no proper place in leading. And a lot of single moms are forced to be both mom and dad. And, and then you've got those that come into the church that, are, that could be married, but then you have a spouse that may not be so married. I grew up in that environment where both parents were serving the Lord and then one wasn't, and that was my father who was not serving the Lord. And so my mom bore both responsibility, that spiritual responsibility. And so, you know, that, that weight falls on that parent, and how do you do that? And so we've got to help one another out. This is when, you know, we restore each other. We help the body. We help the blood of Jesus flow through this body properly. And we teach one another what that is. We allow God to teach us first. And we let him be our heavenly father. We submit to him first. We submit to him first. And we see him as our heavenly father, as a loving father. Because what happens a lot of the times is, is that if our relationship with our with our earthly father is skewed is not right then we're going to view our heavenly father the same way so we've got to remove those blinders on and we as the you know the leadership in the church as the body of christ all of us have to come together and and we've got to you know just let god love us perfectly as our heavenly father and that's where the authority flows from if we are loved perfectly by him, then we are able to receive the authority that is over us in our lives, whether in the church or in the secular world, no matter where we go, and we're not going to buck against it. Now, mind you, there we have self-will, and there's that pride that is within us that wants to say, I want to do my own thing. But if we stay submitted under the blood of Jesus, under his name, under his word, and the authority he has placed in our lives, and it's going to be a lot easier. We're going to be able to receive correction properly. So it's not, if it does hurt, you know that it comes from a place of love because we're not trying to hurt you. The Bible says that he chastens those he loves. That means I, I value you so much, you're so beautiful, that I, I want to correct you. 
so that you become better. Right. The Bible says that a person that receives correction is like a person who wears medals, beautiful jewelry on. Okay? They display it beautifully. Can you imagine that type of, of, of beauty that you radiate when you receive the correction from God, when you say, okay, not my will, your will be done. He starts putting beautiful jewelry on you, raiment on you, pins on you. He just lavishes his love on you. When you receive it correctly, and so instead of feeling resentment and showing resentment and anger, you're actually glowing from his beauty that he's placed upon your life because you received that correction properly. So you radiate his glory and his beauty, and it all starts again from just being loved properly by God. And what happened to Lucifer when he rebelled against authority? He had the most beautiful raiment, the robe, and, and the, he had a breastplate that he wore. It's described in the Bible. You can, you can find it. And I'll have to give you the reference another time because I can't think of exactly where it's at right now. But you can see the breastplate that it was. As a matter of fact, the breastplate that the, that the priest wore was very much like the breastplate, the breastplate that Lucifer had worn. But when he rebelled and got out from under his authority, it was taken away from him. The beauty was taken away from him. So Shechem saw Dinah. He was the prince of the land, and Satan is called the prince of this world. When our children go out to see the women of the land, the prince of the world sees them. He immediately desires to have them that he may eventually kill, steal, and destroy them. You see that correlation there? When I get out over there, now I'm, and, and by the way, when you're out from under authority, that's when you become prey. Can't touch you when you're under authority. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our children, and, and we as well for that matter, are safe when they stay under our protection, under the Lord's protection, and when they stay under authority. When we stay rooted in Christ and rooted with the body of Christ, then we are safe and protected and we cannot be devoured. The devil has no ability to devour our children or to devour us if we keep ourselves and them under divine authority. He has no access to get to them without the father's permission to maybe tempt and try them. And even then, he can only go as far as God wants him to go, by the way. As long as we stay rooted in the father's house. But the minute we uproot ourselves or we allow our children to be uprooted and leave the father's house, they become prey to the lion. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when this lust is conceived, as our children join themselves to the world or are even involuntary joined somehow to the world, it brings forth sin. And as soon as lust is conceived and sin is born, the lion will violate them, abuse them, rob them, kill their hopes, kill their dreams, kill their self-worth, and he will devour them, and he'll take all that he can get from them. That's what Shechem did to Dinah, and that's what the devil wants to do to you. And that's what the devil wants to do to our children. 
But watch, watch how slick Shechem was. He, he came to Jacob, and he acted like he loved Dinah, and he wanted to take her and care for her. Isn't that exactly what the world does? Isn't that exactly what the devil do, does when, when we don't stay rooted? Um, when we go out to see the daughters in the land, he'll, he'll act like he, he loves us. Um, he'll try to get us to marry him. He'll try to make it seem like a, a good thing. And, and then he'll try to make it even worse because marriage is a, is a vow, is a lifetime vow, supposedly, supposed to be. I ought to get an amen from some of you out there. It's supposed to be a lifetime vow, and, and let what God has put together, let no man put asunder, right? Let not man put asunder. That's not supposed to happen. And so by Mary, by getting us to marry the world, he tries to make us think that we, we are eternally attached and bound to him. That is what happens when sin is conceived and it brings forth death. But let me tell you, you don't owe the devil anything. Maybe there's somebody listening online. I, I still feel something in my spirit that maybe there's somebody listening online that, that you, you aren't serving the Lord right now, but you grew up in the church and, and, and you, you're that prodigal that we talked about earlier. Listen, you don't owe the devil anything. You don't owe the world anything. You don't have to stick with him. You don't have to stay attached to, to sin or abuse or addiction or, or, or hurts or pains or, or relationships that you got yourselves into that, that aren't healthy for you. Um, but Jesus is, is waiting for you and he sees you right where you're at and you can come to him and you can be set free. It's not hopeless for you even though it might seem like it's hopeless. I know he tried to tell you that nobody else wanted you, but Jesus wants you. I know you, you said that you were used goods. I know he said that you were all used up and nobody else would, would ever value you, but Jesus values you, and he still has a plan for you. The devil's a liar, and he's the father of lies. You can come to Jesus. He's going to love you. He's going to set you free. He's going to deliver you, and he's going to restore you. worship you right now. I worship you for the prodigals that are coming home. I worship you for the sinners that are coming to repentance. I worship you, Jesus, right now. I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come home. Come home. There's a place for you. We want you back. <laughs> and it all started and one little girl decided to go out and see the daughters of the land and decide she didn't want to get, she didn't want to be rooted anymore. Because she thought Shechem or the world was more attractive than the house of her father. I wish we had time to discuss these questions, maybe another time. But there's a lot of death that happened in that story of Dinah and Shechem. Familial, familial relationships were destroyed. Resentment was birthed. Bitterness took root. Daddy didn't know what to do. Jacob didn't know what to do, so he took a passive stance because he didn't know what to do. His brother uh, or his sons, Dinah's brothers, Dina's brothers, took things into her own hands, and then the father got angry about that. And much was destroyed, and much chaos ensued because a child decided to leave the father's house and see the women of the land. We must develop a culture in which our children, both physical and spiritual, truly desire to put down roots in Jesus Christ. 
And if we can create in our children, if we can create, first of all, foremost in ourselves, in our children, in the new converts, in the disciples that we're trying to make, if we can create a culture and a desire to put down roots in Jesus Christ, a hunger and thirst for the things of God, then they will continue to grow and they will become more deeply rooted in Him. So let me ask you one final question as we close. Who is responsible for developing culture? Is it the pastor? Well, the answer to that question would be yes. But that's an incomplete answer. Is it all the department heads? Well, yes, but in part. Culture is everybody's responsibility. Right? So my challenge to each of us tonight is to take all these things that we've discussed about developing a culture in which roots can be grown and begin on your individual level to take responsibility and ownership of them for yourself. And my commitment to you is that I'm going to do the same thing. And together, we'll develop a culture. And we'll, I mean, I think we have a pretty good culture anyway, but we'll develop and, and uh, grow in this culture in which roots not only can be grown, but in which people want to come and put down roots. And even people that have left are going to come back and begin to put down roots again. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Love you very much. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Don't forget men's conferences this weekend. If, uh, if you want to go to that, then please uh, 